0: see more interest in missions in the U.S. 1 Peter chapter 2 some of you might not notice it but as we go and come and this is not meant to be a criticism of grace especially you have a tremendous missions program here you've been a very very supportive church it's not a criticism it's an observation as I travel around and I've been doing this now for a number of years we do see that there is less and less and less interest in missions. In terms of supporting missions, younger, the churches that are with younger people that are growing, almost no missions program. The older churches, people that are my age and older, they're still supporting, but they're gradually going to heaven. And those people that are younger are just not all that interested. And Why is that? And as I said, I think there's a number of reasons, but I want us to look here at this passage, First Peter chapter two, because Peter talks to a group of people that are being persecuted. They're not in their home area. Some of them are Jewish believers. Some of them have been saved out of a Gentile background. And so Peter's going to ask three different questions, which I want us to think about briefly here this morning. First of all, who are we as Christians? What is our identity as Christians? What is my identity as a person? If you would have asked me that question about uh, two or three months ago, I would have said, well, I'm a missionary, I'm a professor, um, I'm married to Lydia, I'm still married to Lydia, but very quickly uh, I'm going to lose what was my identity I no longer teach in the seminary. If we stay an extra year, I won't be doing any teaching. We'll be doing more like uh, the pastoring, mentoring kind of ministry. But very soon, I'll lose that. So some of you that have retired can understand this. When you retire, you no longer can be identified with what you did. Now you have to have another identity. Some of you, as women, might say, well, I am the mother of. And those of you that have seen your children grow and leave home, what do you do when the kids aren't home if your identity is just being a mom? Uh, what do you do uh, when you've been married and you say, I'm the wife of or I'm the husband of, and that marriage falls apart? So our identity has to go deeper than just those surface things that we usually think about. Second question, where do we belong? What's our destiny? Where are we headed? What really are we waiting for? And the last question What should we do? What's our purpose in life? And I'd like to suggest to you this morning, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons why there has been a decline in interest in missions is because we don't get these three questions clear. We have fuzzy answers. We don't really understand or we can't articulate well what are the answers or what those answers should be. So I want to read with you this passage and just consider it briefly, starting in verse 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with uh, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious... But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What's Peter trying to say? Again, Peter is writing to a group of Christians. Uh, they're under persecution, probably in the northern part of Turkey. He says he's writing from Babylon. That's probably a, a way of saying that he's writing from Rome, just like what John did, uh, does in the book of Revelation. Uh, but he's writing to these people. They're just about to give up their faith because of all the opposition from the outside world. So what does he tell these people? Who are we? Who are they? And let's just look at some of the metaphors that Peter is using here. First of all, he says in verse 5, he says, You are living stones. A stone, we all know, is something strong. That's what we use to make the foundation for a building. We use it in building roads. Uh, uh, But here Peter says, You are living stones because you're connected to the living Christ. And so you're able to give life. You're part of something much bigger than yourself. Uh, Peter says you're build, being built into a spiritual house. It isn't just my little life. It's part of something much larger that God is doing, uh, giving us strength, stability, but also life. Uh, he goes on to talk here. Uh, holy priests in verse 5. You are a holy priesthood. The Jews would understand that language, not so much perhaps the Gentiles. But a priest is someone that helps people make contact with God. And I think Peter is giving or telling these people that God has given you this job of helping others to come to know God. Down in verse uh, nine, I think it is. Let's see. Yeah, there it is. Uh, royal priests, a royal priesthood. That's a term which was not known to the Jews. The only person in the Old Testament that has that kind of a term applied to him was Melchizedek and, of course, the Messiah. But it's a priest that serves the king. And Peter says, that's what you are. You are a priest to serve the king and to declare his glory, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Another metaphor in verse 9, a chosen people a chosen people, a select people. That's what Israel was called. Israel was the nation, and everybody else was the nations, and we translate that as Gentiles. But Israel was the special nation with a special purpose. And Peter says, that's what you are. You have a special purpose. You're not just any old uh, person. You have significance now. Verse 9, a holy nation. That's applied to Israel in Exodus. But, of course, they were not truly a holy nation in the sense of being perfect, but they were holy in the sense of being set apart. And that's what Peter is trying to say to these people. You've been set apart for something special. You're not supposed to live the way you used to live because you've been given a new identity. a People belonging to God, you now pertain to what is God's possessions. This word is interesting because any king in those days would have two treasuries. One was to pay the normal expenses for the government, but then the king had a special treasury which was just his to enjoy and to do what he wanted to do with that treasury. And it's that second term that Peter is applying here. You are a special treasury that God wants to enjoy and wants to have that kind of relationship with. Uh, Verse 10, a people who have received mercy. Here also the verb is interesting because he said, before you were not receiving mercy continually. Why weren't we receiving mercy? Because we were in sin. We were continually sinning, sinning, sinning. And at a certain point in time, because that verb is uh, a verb which talks about a certain Point in time, it's not continuing, it's a certain time, it's talking about conversion. You received mercy. God showed you mercy, and now you're different. Your life has been changed. And He talks about that change as being called out of darkness into His wonderful light. That's Old Testament language. And that's what Paul talks about. That's what Peter's talking about. That tremendous change that happens. And because of that, you now are significant. Many of us have accepted Christ, but the change was not all that great. Or maybe it happened so many years ago that we've kind of forgotten that change from darkness to light. And Peter is trying to help these people to say, Hey, look, there was a point in time when you did not experience God's mercy, and now you've experienced it. Because of that, you are his people. You are priests. You are a chosen people, a special treasury. For God, yeah, we already talked about that. We are changed. I remember as a kid listening to evangelists, and I was always analyzing myself. You know, I did all the the prayers. I accept Jesus. I repent. to go through all the steps. And then the pastor would say, well, you know, did this happen to you? And I would think, boy, I don't know. So I would accept Christ again. And then a little bit later, somebody else would say another thing. And so I went through a whole time in my youth of just doubting if I was really a Christian. And as I look back on that experience, I kind of can understand growing up in a Christian home and always going to church and whatnot. But there should be a time in our life when we can look back and say, yeah, this is what I was and this is what I am now. There needs to be a conversion. We use that word. But conversion means a drastic change, going from darkness to light. And when we understand that, then we have joy and enthusiasm to share that message with others. When it's been a kind of, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. What's to get excited about that? So I think we need to go back there and understand what did God do in our lives? Perhaps there wasn't that great, tremendous change like happens in some lives. But we need to understand that we went from darkness and now we're in the light. And that light should be getting stronger as we grow in our Christian life. Um, special value. What else here? Significant. Uh, from going from being insignificant to being significant. Let's go to our second question here. Where do we belong? Going back to uh, verse um, Where is it? 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. The people that Peter was speaking to were people that felt really out of it, like they didn't belong where they were. Everybody was against them. And Peter says, Hey, I guess we would say today, get real, you know. Uh, You don't belong because you are aliens, you're part of another kingdom. You're part of another culture. What you need to get a little bit uneasy is if you do feel comfortable where you're at, if you do feel at home, if everybody likes you, if the society says, oh, you're wonderful people, Peter says, something's not right there because we're aliens. I've lived in another country now going on 40 years. I'm married to an alien, uh... But uh, I'm the alien, really, there. And even though I've lived many, many years there, I can speak the language, mas o menos, more or less. Uh, uh, still, people, when I open my mouth, they'll say, oh, where are you from? And they, even the way I walk, my wife tells me this, I walk like a North American. And it is different. I'm not going to tell you how it is. You Ask me later, I'll tell you how it is. But uh, there The alien can live all of his life in another country, but he doesn't belong there because he really is part of another kingdom of another country. Um, The other uh, word that's used here is "strangers" in the NIV. The word I think in uh, uh, the King James is "pilgrim." That means someone that's just going through. You know, you're you're walking down this road. And you can look at all the scenery. You can enjoy. It's kind of like when you're on vacation. You're visiting another state, another country. You can enjoy all that. But that's not yours. You want to go back where? You want to go back home. You want to go back to your own bed. And that's what Peter says. We're on this journey. This is not where we really belong. And someday we will be in our real home. And so we're just temporary residents here. But the, the point here is that uh, we are persons that don't pertain to this world. Uh, we uh, are part of another kingdom. Let's see, what else did I put here? Live according to other values. Um, I think we understand that the world in which we live more and more is going away from us and they have... Way different values, but the problem is there are subtle values that get us and begin to sink our roots down into that culture. Uh, What is important to us? Sports is big here in the U.S. It's important to have nice cars. It's important to dress a certain way. It used to be to dress up, now it's to dress down. Uh, I told Pastor Joe I didn't have any torn jeans. I was apologizing. But uh, uh, we have our our customs. but And that's not bad. Nothing wrong with sports and cars and everything else. The problem is when we begin to put our roots down and we really get entangled in all that stuff and we forget that we are aliens and we are pilgrims and we're going in another direction. I don't mean to be unfriendly to the world. I don't mean to set ourselves apart like the Amish. I'm talking about realizing who we are and focusing on really where we're going. Um, don't become entangled. That's what I just said. Okay. Focus on the values. Let's go to the third question. What should we do then, if we really don't belong to this world, if we have significance because of what God has done in our lives? What should we be doing? And here Peter is pretty clear. Verse um, ten. Uh, Nine, excuse me you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light oh my goodness excuse me here it's always dangerous to put a missionary up front here with this technology uh... Declare the praises of God. What does that mean? Uh, We were singing here this morning. That's one way to declare his praises. But really what Peter is talking about here is to say who God is, to talk about his virtues, to talk about his qualities, to tell people what God is really like and what he has done in our life. That's why the word is there to declare. Um, Greatness of God. And who do we do this to? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Um, That phrase, darkness into light, this is a phrase I want to talk to you a little bit about because it's from the Old Testament. Uh, I'll have to read it here because I can't read. That's obviously for young people. Uh, It's screened back there. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from the prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is what God said through Isaiah uh, for him, but also for the nation. A little bit later, in Isaiah 49, 6, he says, he says, it is too small a thing, this is God speaking, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant To restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Paul takes that message from Isaiah when his own people reject him. And he says, for this is what the Lord has commanded us, not Isaiah, but he takes this for himself. I have made you for a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So uh, we are supposed to be about declaring God's glory to the nations and to helping people to go from darkness to light. Where are those dark places today? Uh, The U.S. is a dark place, but I was just down in Delaware the other week, and I was going down, uh, I can't remember the the route number, but there was church after church after church after church, and I was with my nephew yesterday, and he was saying about, or with my niece, and she was saying, This is Dick's, for those of you that don't know my brother Dick, uh, Esther's back in the U.S. And she was saying, She's so impressed with the number of churches in this area. So we think this is an area that needs the Lord, and it does, but we're just inundated with churches. I want to read something for you that uh, someone gave me a book since I've been home. Uh, It's called The Insanity of God, and I would highly recommend it to you. It's not an academic book. It's written by a a former missionary that worked among the Muslims. Uh, And he visited different groups that were experiencing persecution. He wanted to find out exactly why they could maintain their faith, but also that they would grow in places like the old Soviet Union, China, uh, even some of the Muslim countries? How can they do this? And he gives an example from his experience when he was in uh, China with the house church. I'm just going to read this for you. Um, The security police regularly harass a believer who owns a property where a house church meets. The police say, you have got to stop these meetings. If you do not stop these meetings, we will confiscate your house. We will throw you out into the street. Then the property owner will probably respond, do you want my house? Do you want my farm? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave this property to him. The security police will not know what to make of that answer, so they will say, we don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we can certainly get to you. When we take your property, you and your family will have nowhere to live. And the house church believers will declare, then we will be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. If you keep this up, we will beat you, the persecutors will tell them. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for healing, the believers will respond. And then we will put you in prison, the police will threaten. By now, the believers' response is almost predictable. Then we will be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the captives, to set them free, we will be free to plant churches in prison, which, by the way, they've done literally by the hundreds. If you try to do that, we will kill you, the frustrated authorities will vow. And with utter consistency, the house church believers will, will reply. Then we will be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. You see, I think those house church believers, they get it. They get the message of 1 Peter chapter 2. Many times we don't often have really clear. Um, First of all, who are we? We are chosen people with a special relationship, with a special function. Where do we belong? We don't belong here. We really don't. And these believers get that. They're part of another kingdom. They have other values. They're going in another direction. So that influences how they spend their time and how they spend their money. What should we be doing? How do we invest our time? Uh, I'm tempted to go off on a rabbit trail, but I won't. Declare who God is and what he has done to those who are still in darkness. Is that what we're about? Because I think if we understand who we are, what world we belong to, and what we should be doing, missions is a logical consequence. We can't help but do missions to go where the places are the most dark. And I thank you for what you've done, and I challenge you to do more. And for those of you that can, to think about what does God want me to do I'm I'm not just called to sit here and to enjoy and receive blessings. I'm called to declare his glory and what he has done to those who yet don't understand that message. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks for what Peter has said here. Uh, Thank you for the many that have gotten this message, like our brothers and sisters in China, but also in Uruguay, also in Africa. And I pray that this church would continue the good work that they have started and that you would continue to call out others to serve you here but also around the world. Uh, Help those who are thinking about this possibility. There's a lot to discourage us, and I pray that you encourage those that you want to go out and to take the light into the darkness. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.